You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. And so with that said, we are on part two of our series, Honest Advent, taken um, from the book that Scott Erickson wrote. So on part two of Honest Advent. And as I was reading through um, the book, and I'm probably a little bit further ahead than maybe you are, but um, as preparing for this series, I'm thinking through this idea that the incarnation, which is what the first advent was all about. It was all about leading up to this waiting for the very first incarnation when Christ puts on flesh, uh, when when Mary, um, the virgin, becomes uh, impregnated with the seed of salvation. Right. Um, that's the first that's the first advent and what the incarnation is all about. But the incarnation isn't simply an event that we reflect upon. If we're not careful, we will just see it as a moment in time, like a moment in history, like an event that we reflect on. No, the incarnation isn't simply an event we reflect upon. It is an invitation that we participate in. It's an invitation that we participate in. And I want to kind of talk a little bit about that this morning, that two things that the, the incarnation does. The incarnation invites us, one, to be fully loved, and the incarnation also, two, it invites us to fully love one another. And so let me talk just briefly about that this morning. But as I was reading through the book, something that jumped out to me in chapter 12, uh, the chapter's titled Scene, Scott Erickson said this, love is the animating source of the incarnation. Love is the animating source of the incarnation. And probably as you're hearing that, you'd be like, well, yeah, of course. Like we believe that to be true, right? Like, of course, love is the animating source of the incarnation. But I'm not so sure that we have taken that from this mental belief, this mental understanding, this agreement mentally about this idea of love being the animating source of the incarnation and really worked it into the very fabric of our being, really allowing it to saturate the depths of our spirit, like, like really get it so deeply ingrained in us to understand it. What do I mean by that? Like when we think... Love is the animating source of the incarnation. You, probably like me, found yourself internally or maybe even vocally saying John 3.16, of course. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son into the world that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Like that's where we go when we think about the incarnation and love, when we tie those two things together. And rightly so, like that is a clear description of what it means when we say that love is the animated source of the incarnation. I love the way it's written in the New uh, English Translation. It says this, for this is the way God loved the world. This is the way that God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is the way that God loved the world by sending his son. Love is the animating source of the incarnation. Now, when we think about that, what began to be processed in my own heart, in my own mind, what I began to sort of work through is like this question that dropped into my heart was this. 
Ryan, in what ways did your participation bring the incarnation into reality? Maybe you can ask yourself that same question. In what ways did your participation bring the incarnation into reality? And the reality is in no way did my participation bring the incarnation into reality. Meaning it wasn't deserved. I didn't deserve the incarnation or the love of God. It wasn't earned. I didn't do some things. I didn't level up, if you will, to a certain degree to where all of a sudden now I am worthy of the incarnation. Uh, it wasn't something that I was able to coerce or that you were able to coerce or that the first century Jews were able to coerce, that they did enough things, that they checked off enough boxes that God said, ah, now I will come be with you. No. There was nothing that any human did to participate in the incarnation reality, meaning there was nothing that any human did that caused or that coerced or that uh, that earned God coming to be with us. Not even the Virgin Mary. Yes, she was favored of the Lord. And yes, she did participate in the incarnation, but it wasn't her participation that caused the incarnation to be a reality. It was simply the love of God. It was the animating source of the incarnation. It is nothing that we could have done, nothing that Mary could have done, nothing that the prophets could have done, nothing that Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob could have done to have caused the incarnation to become a reality. No, from the beginning of time, God had made a way in which he would save all people. And God, by his love, animated, created a way for the incarnation to take place. So we say and we recite for God so loved the world, but do we really believe that? It reminded me of a quote that I read a long time ago. And I read the quote in Brennan Manning's book, The Furious Longing of God, which is a beautiful, really short book. I would encourage everybody to read it. The Furious Longing of God. It's about God's love towards humanity. But in this, he, he has a, a quote that's written in Latin. Augustine said it. He said this, Quia amasti me faciti me amabellum. And I might be saying that wrong. I'm not a Latin expert in case you didn't know. But quia amasti me faciti me amabellum. And it means this in English. In loving me, you made me lovable. In loving me, you made me lovable. See, the animating source behind the incarnation is God, God's willingness to send his son, God's willingness to come as uh, uh, the son of God in flesh is because he so greatly loved us. And in so greatly loving us, he made us lovable. And here's the thing about this whole idea. Shame keeps us from really receiving the gift of God's love revealed in the incarnation. If we really think about it, oftentimes we don't fully receive the love of God and loving me, you made me lovable. Oftentimes we don't fully believe that. It doesn't saturate the very depths of our being because we are so accustomed to shame. We think that we are not good enough. We think there's no way if God really knew the real me, he would not want to send his son for me. He would not have given up uh, all of his throne in heaven and come down and put on flesh for 
for me. If he really knew me, if he really knew what was going on inside me, see, that's rooted in shame. And in shame, we tend to reject the depths of the love of God. We tend to reject the implications of the incarnation. Like we don't really believe that the incarnation was for us, but it is. And the good news about the incarnation, the good news about this idea that love is the animating source of the incarnation is that it had nothing to do with your goodness. It had nothing to do with what you deserved or what you earned. It had everything to do with God's great love for you and for me. It is God's love alone that broadened the table and invited us to sit and banquet with him. This is what the incarnation teaches us. And so let's talk about these two things. First, the incarnation invites us to be fully loved. If you have your Bible, turn to John chapter one, and we're going to spend some time with John this morning. John the apostle was so captured, was so caught by the love of God. In John chapter one, we're going to start in verse 14. As John is sort of retelling the creation story in chapter one through Jesus Christ is the focal point of the creation story. In verse 14, he breaks into something that would have been unheard of in the first century. He says this, and the word became flesh. Now we know that he's talking about Jesus. If you read earlier, we see the implications that he's referring to Jesus himself and the word or Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He goes on to qualify regarding John the Baptist. He says, verse 15, John bore witness about him and cried out, different John, this is John the Baptist, not John the apostle. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John the Baptist essentially making a declaration that, that Jesus was before all things. And though he was born a couple of months after John the Baptist, his cousin, John the Baptist is recognizing that he is much more important, that he is from the beginning of time. Verse 16 for from his fullness, from the fullness of Jesus, we all have, or we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Let's talk about this idea that the incarnation invites us to be fully loved. What we see here in John chapter 1 verse 14 is that God puts on flesh. The word, that's what incarnation means, to be, uh, to put on flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we see here that the in incarnation invites us to be fully loved because God pursued us. Because God's love chased us down. Because he is Emmanuel, God with us. Notice it is not us with God. 
What do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean by that. It is not by our efforts. We did not chase after God. We are not the initiators of this great love. We have to get this because if we think that we initiated the love, then we can also think that it is somehow, if we earn the love, then there is a moment in which we could uh, we could lose that love. There is a moment in which we could be disqualified from that love. If we worked hard to earn it, if it's a, if it's a merit badge, that we have received, then perhaps there is a moment where we can be demoted, where we can be stripped of our merit badge and we could lose the love of God. No, it's Emmanuel, God with us, not us with God. We didn't pursue after him. He came chasing after us in willingness to put on flesh. God pursued us. This is an invitation to be fully loved, an invitation to be fully seen and fully known by God himself. Brennan Manning said this in one of his final speeches. Uh, Brennan Manning is known as the guy, the, the uh, uh, ragamuffin disciple, if you will. He wrote the book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. But he said this, I love you just as you are and not as you should be. So in his last speech, he was talking about the one thing that he thinks God is going to ask every single believer and he said, I believe that God is going to ask every single believer, did you believe that I loved you? Did you believe that I loved you? Did you believe that I fully and deeply loved you? And in saying that, he said, this is what God is going to say or declare over us. I love you just as you are and not as you should be because you will never be as you should be. Brennan Manning's whole ministry was about revealing to people this idea that you can't be good enough in yourself to earn God's love. God loves you regardless. God loves you no matter what. And therefore he's saying, God's not asking you to be something that you're not right now because you'll never be as you should be. You will never reach that perfection until Christ comes again. You will never be perfect. You will always fall short. And so he's saying, God is trying to reaffirm to you. I love you just as you are and not as you should be because the reality is you will never be as you should should be. And John tells us when Jesus puts on flesh, when he comes pursuing us, when he moves into the neighborhood, he comes full of grace and truth. Now, this whole idea of being full of grace and truth should help us to rest in the, the, the idea that we are fully and completely loved by God. He comes in grace and truth. First, grace. It means that he comes, and as he comes, he is fully present, providing for us unmerited favor. That it is the grace, it's by grace that we have been saved. It's the unmerited favor of God. And Jesus shows up full of grace, fully present, unmerited favor given to us that we did not deserve the Christ child. We did not deserve for God to put on flesh and move into our neighborhood. And yet he did. Why? Because he is a good and gracious God. He is full of grace and he is also full of truth, that he is fully transparent, that he is, there is nothing hidden, that he is fully seen in this moment. Truth is there's nothing hidden. All is being revealed in Christ Jesus. So here he comes, fully present in grace and fully revealed in truth. 
fully loving you and me. And it says, it goes on to say that from his fullness, that he lacked nothing in grace, nothing in truth, that, that, he, that he brings it fully to us. From his fullness, we have received now grace upon grace. I think you could say grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Grace inexhaustible has been made available to you and me because of the fullness of grace and truth that Jesus came in. That he was fully present and fully seen, fully available to love us to the fullest extent. Do you hear me saying fully a lot? I want you to capture that. Get it in your spirit. The incarnation made the invisible God visible to us, declaring to us that we are fully, without reservation, unconditionally, inexhaustibly loved. The incarnation invites us to be fully loved, to be fully ourselves in the presence of God. See, the presence of God in this incarnation says to us, I see you, I see your struggle, I see your pain, I see your brokenness, and I'm going to come, I'm going to come or I am going to become just like you, and I'm going to join you in the middle of it. That I'm going to endure all that you endure that I too will be rejected, that I too will be broken, that I too will endure pain and hardship and struggle and difficulty, that I too will be betrayed, that I will experience death and shame for you so that you can know that you are fully loved by me. says here at the end, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John the Apostle is trying to declare to us that this Jesus that he, that he knows deeply, that he is writing the account of, that is in this Jesus that the invisible God has become fully visible, fully known to us. That Jesus is what God has to say. That Jesus is the full manifestation of the character and nature of God. And Jesus comes pursuing, seeking to save the lost. To give up his life as a ransom because of his great love for you and me. The incarnation invites us to be fully loved. Scott Erickson says in the book, grace and truth is the invitation to be seen. And in that seeing, to receive the gift of presence not withheld. God is not withholding his presence from you. The incarnation tells us that even at the darkest moment of history, God comes breaking through looking for you and me. Now it is the incarnation invite us to be fully loved. It also invites us to fully love one another. Again, the Apostle John, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4. 
This is the same writer, the same author, the Apostle John here, writing his first epistle, his first level letter. In 1 John, you could summarize 1 John very simply, and John is trying to declare that God is light and God is love. That These two themes are a, a mega or meta-narrative of this entire book of 1 John. But 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21, it's a little bit of text, but let me read it all to you. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. As he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. You say fear has to do with shame. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. The incarnation invites us to fully love one another. The Apostle John here is so impacted by God's love and its impact on the one who receives that love. Then his first epistle here in the first uh, the book of First John here, in the, in the little, just few, five chapters, he references the idea of love 52 times in just five short chapters. Like, he really wants to drive home. And we, we, we just read a few verses there, like 14 verses. And in those verses, he is driving home this idea that God has loved us and that because God has loved us, we should then in return love God and love one another. It is John who tells us in this epistle of his first-hand experience with Christ. 
Like if you read chapter one of 1 John, he says this, that which was from the beginning, he's speaking about Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon and touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. This life was made manifest. We have seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the father and it was made manifest to us. So he's like, man, I have an experience. I have heard him. I have seen him. I have handled Jesus. And this John who has had this firsthand experience with Christ and the revelation he has from that experience wants us to know that, listen, love is from God. That God is love. That God first loved us. And that our response to God loving us is to love God and also to love one another. He's like, there can be no other conclusion. Like he says, if you say that you love God, but you don't love your brother, then you're lying because there is no other conclusion. If you love God, if you have received the love of God into your life, then you must love one another. There are no other options here. There are no caveats given. There are no clauses that we can escape to the, through the side door, like kind of make our way out of the situation. He's saying, no. If you've received the love of God and you say that you love God in return, then you must also love one another. In effect, John calls us to be the love of God incarnate for the sake of the other. Do you hear what he said? He says, as he is, so also are we in this world. He's talking about the incarnation of Jesus. He's talking about how the, the love of God was poured out, that God first loved us. And he's saying, listen, as he is, so also should we be in this world, that Jesus was love incarnate, that love is the animating source of the incarnation, that Jesus shows up full of grace and truth, love incarnate, love in the flesh. And as he is, so should we also be in this world, meaning that we too should be the incarnate love of God to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our family members, that we should be what love looks like right here, right now in this world. Now, I can think of, there's one story in particular that stands out to me about uh, Brennan Manning, who's, a, 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 someone called him a saint. He was a Franciscan friar. You can read his life story. I forget the name of the book, but he wrote a little memoir about his life. He has the book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Had great impact. But Brennan Manning, like, um, Brennan Manning was, uh, uh, had a difficult life. Um, he was an alcoholic most of his life. You're like, how can this be? How can he be an alcoholic and be a Christian at the same time? Well, you can be. Breaking news, people are broken. People are wrestling with difficulty and struggle. So he was an alcoholic. He would preach the gospel at huge events and then go home or to the hotel and just go on a bender dealing with his own issues of shame, his own issues with his childhood. He was, now lived in a very abusive home. His mother was rejected him and was abusive towards him. So he had this very difficult life. By the age of 16, he was an alcoholic by the age of 16. Very, very difficult life. That's why he calls himself a ragamuffin disciple. Ragamuffin is someone that's ragged or disreputable, right, in personhood. And that's why he, he labeled himself this. But this is also why he tried to demonstrate the love of God to others. 
that he had been so radically uh, affected by God's love that he had to share with other people that no matter how ragamuffin your life might be, no matter how ragged your life might be, no matter how disreputable of a person you might be, God loves you. And because God loves you, I love you. But one story in particular about Brendan Manning's life that stands out to me, this idea of the incarnation inviting us to fully love one another, this idea about as he was in the world, so we should be in the world, like that God was incarnate love in the world. In Switzerland, Brendan Manning went, lived in Switzerland for a short time. And in Switzerland, he voluntarily checked himself into a Swiss jail with hardened criminals, like a high security jail, like maximum, like think about going into maximum security jail, like 60 days as a show, 60 days in, like where there were people go in and they're trying to be informants in a jail. Well, he didn't go to be an informant, but he, he voluntarily checked himself into a Swiss jail with hardened criminals. And only the guard of the jail knew who Brennan was. Nobody else in the jail knew who Brennan was. And Brennan would say that you never ask what someone was in for because they just say, like, it's none of your business. So when all of the inmates asked Brennan, like, what are you in for? He'd just return the favor. He'd say, it's none of your business. He'd tell them, hey, Brennan, what are you here for? It's none of your business. None of them knew that he had voluntarily checked himself into the jail. He'd say, it's none of your business. And nobody ever knew that Brennan was a Franciscan friar there to pray for them and there to serve them. Like the whole reason that he checked and voluntarily checked himself into a prison was so that he could go and be among these prisoners, these ragamuffin, disreputable, ragged people to pray for them and to serve them. Talk about the incarnation of love. Talk about showing up to a moment and being loved to people that most of society would say doesn't deserve it. Like they don't deserve. They should be locked up for life. We treat disreputable people as if they are subhuman. Not Brennan Manning. Brennan Manning saw that it was his mission in life to declare to people the love of God, that you are never too far gone for the love of God. <clears throat> Matter of fact, Brennan said this. He said, the work that God has given to me is helping people to enter the existential experience of being loved in their brokenness. Let me read it again. The work that God has given to me to do is helping people to enter the existential experience of being loved in their brokenness. And I believe this is the work that God has given all of us to do. That we are supposed to be love incarnate. That the incarnation invites us to be fully loved and also to fully love one another. He finished with this quote from the theologian Carl F.H. Henry. He said this, the early church didn't say, look what the world is coming to. How many have heard that a lot recently? 
right? We've heard that a lot recently. There's a lot of fear-mongering happening around us now. Now, there's a lot happening in politics. There's a lot happening in, in the social media realm and in news. Just a lot of messiness right now. And a lot of Christians are saying or using fear taxes saying, look what the world is coming to. Or if we do these things or if these things happen, then the world is going to come to this. And it's all about fear and it's all about judgment and it's all about shame. But the early church didn't say, look what the world is coming to. They said, look what has come into the world. And I want to challenge you and me. I want to challenge us that this is our perspective. As we reflect on the incarnation and the invitation to be fully loved and the invitation to fully love one another, instead of saying, look what my neighbor is coming to, look what my coworker is coming to, look what the world is coming to, rather we say, look what has come or who has come into the world. And that we too can be the ones who declare that love is the animating source of the incarnation. And because Jesus has come, we are fully loved. And because Jesus has fully loved us, we can fully love one another. Let's pray. Oh, we're so grateful for your unconditional, inexhaustible love for us. That you demonstrated your love in this, that while we were still sinners, you came for us. You put on flesh for us. Help us to reflect. Help us to also embody this idea of love incarnate. Help us to love you more. Help us to have a greater revelation of your love towards us, which expands our ability to love you and therefore expands our ability to love others. Stir to the very depths of our being an understanding, a revelation of the incarnation in a way that we grasp how fully and deeply loved we are. And may we be so secure in that love that no matter what happens around us, we can love others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before you go, let me pray this blessing over you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.